Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow as we turn the page to week eight with the Cincinnati Bengals atop the AFC. They would be the number one seed if the playoffs started right now. And while the playoffs do not start right now, and there's a lot more football to be played, I think it's fascinating that they are playing so much better than most people predicted they would just eight weeks ago. Vegas had them at six and a half wins for the year, and they're five and two through seven with huge road wins against the Steelers and the Ravens, an overtime loss against the Packers, and yes, a very bad-looking loss at this point against the Bears in Week 2. But since that game, they are first in the league in yards per play on offense, second in the league in explosive plays. And on defense, they are second in the league in points allowed per drive. So I'm wondering, what did we all miss? And how much credit does Zach Taylor get for this turnaround? A coach who was six. 25 and 1 coming into the year. People wanted him fired just this past summer. Kyle Brandt did a bit on Monday on Good Morning Football calling him the least recognizable coach in the NFL. And I think that's true. And I think it's not just Taylor. I think it's just about everyone on that team that is not named Burrow or Chase or maybe Boyd or Higgins, who people know primarily because of fantasy football. But can you name the guys on that offensive line? Could you have told me who their tight end was prior to, I don't know, last week? I think this team is so intriguing, and I know someone who feels the same way. The person I think to reach out to when something comes up for the Bengals, one of the best left tackles of all time who spent his entire 13-year Hall of Fame career in Cincinnati after graduating from the best college in all the land, the University of Southern California, whose own football situation might come up in this conversation also. It is Anthony Munoz. Let's break the huddle. All right. Well, I would imagine that I'm talking to somebody who is enjoying this week more than maybe weeks of the past. Anthony Munoz, you've made your home there in Cincinnati after playing for the Bengals for 13 seasons. Uh, What is it like there this week after that big win? Well, first of all, I think, um, I think any time that no one gives you a chance, you're an underdog and they kind of, you know, just make jokes. And then you go in and not beat somebody, but I mean, literally just hand it to a really, really, really good football team. Uh, it makes you smile. And for someone that played you know, their entire career for this organization that wants more than anything to see this team get in the playoffs, win a playoff game. And, you know, I tell people that there's like 40 to 45 guys that I've played with that still live here in Cincinnati. And anytime I get a chance to talk to the team, which I did this camp, well, that's one of the first things I tell them. I said, you have so many fans, just former players that live here, that want you to win the division, want you to get in the playoffs and get that excitement back that we experienced twice by going to the Super Bowl. Um, so to, to go in and beat Baltimore, and we knew that uh, it would be a tough game. But man, as I sat there and watched it, I watched a lot of it on my phone because I was watching a couple of grandkids play football. And I just smiled every time we would, you know, especially late in the game when you have to run the ball and mix in. And I mean, pirate, I mean, it's just, that's the way it's got to be. So yeah, it was really exciting. I'm thrilled for the team. I mean, Mixon and P Ryan and chase and Boyd and Higgins. I mean, there's just, there's so many um, people on that offense that are contributing to this situation. I think a lot of people are going to focus on the offense after that game with 41 points, 400 passing yards, 200 yards 
for Mr. Chase. And I do want to talk about that, especially Jamar Chase, who's totally changed things for this offense in a way that I didn't necessarily see happening right away. Um, But first, though, I think that that defensive performance from Sunday is flying a little bit under the radar. And I don't think it should, because while they were already having a very good under the radar season defensively, they totally changed up their defense to face Lamar Jackson. They had a ton of success scrapped what they'd been playing as their traditional, you know, base, like four, two, five came out and more four, three, four, four focused on stopping the run. They blitzed a ton, um, sent the house on passing downs. We saw, a. Uh, a defense that kind of felt like, okay, we can actually do some things here against this team. I really liked what I saw defensively and I don't think anyone's talking about it. Yeah, I agree with you, but uh, Wendy, I'm just going to mention five names real quick before we move on. You talk about, you know, chase and all those guys. I want to mention Williams reef Hopkins, Spain and Carson Jackson, because those five guys are doing an amazing job. And that's the one area where like, I don't know, man. This team's going to struggle because of that line. And, of course, Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach, coming back. But now to the defense. Let's get to the defense. I, you know, that's one of the things. I went to camp for the first time in two years because I do the preseason games on TV. And being a former offensive player, that's one of the things I noticed was the defense right away, the mm-hmm. defensive secondary. I mean, you know, Hilton and, uh, you know, Wuzier, and I mean, those guys were just all over the place talking but not only talking but they were backing it up with aggressive play and then I looked at you know Sam Hubbard is just very impressive for a young guy I really didn't know because I hadn't seen a lot of Hendrickson Uh, I'd heard a lot about him Uh, but Reader I knew that was uh, you know he was a stud but he was hurt Uh, but then you know you look at uh, you know Ogunjobi I mean all those guys in the middle the edges and then Logan Wilson and and Pratt I mean so it's kind of like the last three years has been revamped because I think there's a very small percentage of players that are still here that when Zach took over and you say, man, this team has made a lot of great additions through free agency, the draft, but I love watching the defense. And if we can keep the offense on there a lot longer and limit the defense, I think they will be that much more effective because they won't get exhausted or tired, but I love first level second. I mean, to watch Wilson and Pratt run the way they do from sideline to sideline and to watch the coverage. I mean, now, I think in the past there was a little too much talking and not enough playing where this year I'm not a big trash talker or advocate of it or like, like it, but if you're going to do some of that, back it up. And I think our guys, there's just a swag and that's been mentioned, uh, you know, guys that are really getting it done on the defense and sure they bring pressure, but it's almost like we have four guys that can get to the quarterback. We don't need a fifth and sixth guy, although they're going to do that. So that's what really has impressed me about the way they're playing physical uh, they're running They're, I mean, how many guys do you see get to the ball when they're making the, the tackle to me that that's an indication that these guys just love playing. And yet I, I would venture to guess that if I stopped 10 people on the street who claimed to be hardcore football fans, but did not live in Cincinnati, that probably nine of them couldn't name two guys. I agree. You know, we talk about the backers on, but you know, Bates and Von Bell, the safeties. I mean, I think Zach Taylor came out and said, probably the, best tandem in the league. I'm going to say they're pretty good. I mean, Bates has been, you know, really building and trending for the last several years and to bring in a guy like Von Bell. I mean, it's, they're not only, you know, coverage guys, but they're going to come up and, and hit you pretty good for safety as a safety should, but you're right. You ask people on the streets and they probably couldn't name, uh, you know, I'm sure offensively, yeah, Joe Burrow, Mixon, and now Chase and you know Higgins, they could probably name a handful of guys, but they, ask them defensively. And it's like, well, I know they're playing well, but I can't give you names. 
Well, that's the fantasy football effect to a degree, right? I bet that most people could probably name everyone on that offense because they're all fantasy football assets. And now you've got uh, it, even the tight end. <laughs> like, drama. I mean, what? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, he makes a catch and then, I mean, he makes a move and he just kind of about walks in the end zone after he eludes a defender. But you're right. He's another guy. I mean, you talk to wide receivers, you know, Boyd, Chase, and Higgins, and now you can throw Uzama into the mix and, and P. Ryan and, and Mixon. So it's like Joe Burrow has all these weapons, but again, it starts up front. I'll be the first to say, not only because I played offensive line, but if Burrow is not upright and has a chance to throw the ball, I mean, which he's been able to do, sure, there's been times where he's moved out of the pocket and, I mean, he's got great vision and throws the ball extremely well on the move, but for the most part, he sits back there and, uh, you know, can look over the, you know, his receivers and hit them. So uh, kudos to that offensive line and uh, the job they're doing. Uh, a lot of work to still be done. I've still seen, seen some inconsistencies, but for the most part, uh, I'm excited about it. So I'm guessing that you might have fallen into the same camp that I was in come draft time. I was banging the table for Penesul. I did not think that Jamar Chase was a guy that would transform things as much. I'm a big proponent of building uh, a roster, you know, putting a lot of um, priority on the guys that are up front. And I thought it was a mistake. Um, were you also in that camp where you would have preferred them at the time to take Penn A. Sewell? Well, I said Chase all the way. Who's going to be an all pro as a rookie. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, I was in the, in, I was in the Sewell uh, camp. I thought uh, to build that offensive line, I thought with Higgins and Boyd and Uzama and Mixon and, you know, the, the weapons they already had that uh, let's continue to build that offensive line. You know, Jonah Williams was young. I thought he could be kind of interchanged at guard and tackle. You know, they got Riley Reef, a 10-year veteran, and I, I really like Trey Hopkins. But I thought if we could add a young tackle who has so much upside, uh, that would be kind of pretty good for this football team. So, you know, I went out and a lot of interviews, and but I did say one thing because I, I kind of felt that Chase was going to be the guy, even though I was in the Panay camp. I did say I'm okay with Chase only because – of, I mentioned the name earlier, Frank Pollock coming back as the offensive line coach. Three years ago when Frank was here, uh, Mixon had his best year rushing the football. I love the technique that Frank teaches. He's not, I mean, he gets in their face. He makes them work. And I think his offensive lineman, that's what you need. And his tagline is master the mundane. What a great tagline for offensive linemen because it is technique, technique, technique. And that's what it's all about. So I did mention that uh, if we don't get Sewell and uh, we didn't, that the Frank is coming back and he's the type of guy that can take some young linemen and develop them uh, to be pretty good uh, offensive linemen in the league. So uh, yeah, I can't say that I was a chase guy, even though uh, you could see he was very talented. And the, the thing that I said then, and I still say now it never had anything to do with chase for me. It was just about roster building and not thinking that the wide receiver was the priority position. And you could even point to just in years past there, they had AJ green. AJ green was amazing. It didn't change things. You know what I mean? Like you need to give, especially a quarterback. My thought process was coming off of the injury that Joe Burrow was coming off of. You need to give him protection. Well, you're right. You're right. And it's, I mean, a wide receiver, I mean, he's had a lot of touches, but offensive linemen, they can affect every single play because they're involved in every single play, run blocking, pass blocking, 
you know, it's not like, well, okay, take this play off, you know, be, you know, just kind of be a decoy. No, you've got to be on every single play and be effective. So you're right. It wasn't about Jamar Chase. And then I watched them every play, like not every play, but every game, like I said, when they won the national championship, but it was about, okay, build that line up front and then go from there. But uh, so far it's working out pretty well. So I'm excited about it. Were we wrong? Was it the right pick? You know what? I guess, you know, with the, the 200 yards and, you know, the most yards by any rookie, I, I guess you, I, I'm going to admit and say I, I was wrong. I think, uh, you know, the line is doing pretty good. And, you know, hopefully Jonah at a young age, you know, still has a lot of upside. And hopefully Riley Reef is one of those 15, 16-year guys that stays here the whole time. And, and so I, I'm going to say I'm, I was wrong. I'm, I'm going to say that only because of, holy smokes, this kid is like crazy. He's like a superstar of seven games into the season. He really is. He's changed things so dramatically. It makes me wonder too, from an offensive line standpoint, if, if you need to have the best offensive line in the league, or if there's just a tipping point somewhere where like good enough, if you are this good, wherever that line is, that is good enough. What do you think? What do you think are the standards that need to be met in order for it to be good enough versus not good enough? And now the whole offense can't operate. Well, I think you you have to, first of all, you have to be pretty good as an offensive line, but I think strategy and putting your guys in a position to be successful, you know, if, and you have to be able to make adjustments right away. If you, if you go into a game knowing, okay, I have a, a left guard that might struggle a, against Aaron Donald. Don't put the guy one-on-one on Aaron Donald the whole time, slide the line, you know, make sure if you have a tackle, that's going to struggle. Don't put him on the Island all the time slide that way, put a tight end over there, chip them, you know, so it's all about the strategy. And and that's really the only way that I know you still got to be pretty good because there's times where you can't do that and you got to depend on it. But again, it's up to the, the whole game plan when going into a game and then the adjustments, you know, people talk about halftime adjustments. I'm thinking, wait, we're making adjustments after the first series, the second series, the third, you got to be able to make constant adjustments not only at halftime, but during, you know, after the first time you get the football. Uh, so, you know, again, to answer your question, you have to be pretty good. But again, your coordinator and the game plan has to be able to help those offensive linemen, regardless to if you got an excellent line or, you know, mid- middle of the road line. That's such a good point about halftime adjustments. I remember Pete Carroll when he was at USC. That was one of the things that people always talked about the ability that they had to make halftime adjustments. And as a reporter or sideline reporter, you always end up kind of asking questions in those vein and that vein. And he was always like, there's not like this big halftime adjustment. Like it's happening the entire time. Exactly. And it's like, I'll never forget running off the field. And, and if something happened wrong, first guy to meet me would be Jim McNally, our offensive line coach. And he'd look at me up at me five, nine. He said, okay, what happened? And don't tell me, you don't know. We, we needed an answer right then. So we could get to the bench. And we didn't sit there the whole time the defense had the ball. We'd get there, get on the board, make the adjustments. Here's what happened, and then you go. And if we had to change the play calling or blocking schemes, you made it right there. And it was all about being able to make those adjustments. Because if you waited to half, I mean, you're going to be down four or five scores, and it's a little too late. So you got to make them right then at that time. And, uh, and it's all about knowing the game plan, knowing what you're going to do individually in your game plan against whoever you're playing with and, and go with it. Uh, so it's uh, it's just as much a mental game as it is a physical game. How has Jamar Chase changed things for everybody in a way that you maybe didn't see 
happening right away? Well, as a former offensive lineman, I think, you know, it gives you confidence. I mean, it, it kind of holds you accountable and says, you know, we don't need to hold them out eight seconds. But if we can just give, you know, Joe a little extra time, they're not going to be able to guard this kid, you know, and then you got a couple other guys that can get open. But just the confidence of knowing that if it is a pass play, that number one is going to get open. And, and it just kind of drives you that much. So it changes that. And then it changes, you know, the run blocking. If we can't run the football, then they're going to know we have to pass the ball. To me, it was always like run the ball because you can, not because you have to. And then that opens up everything else. And it, it makes it makes it a little easier, not easy, but a little easier on the offensive line. And uh, so it, it kind of works mentally and physically. But I think it's the whole confidence uh, thing in your mind, knowing that, man, now we got this one kid along with the, a stud quarterback that uh, in addition to other guys, you don't forget about Higgins and Boyd. And now you got Uzama. But, you know, who are they going to double team? Who are they going to focus on? And then that kind of leaves things uh, in our hands. So that, again, that plays into our confidence as an offensive line. Let me ask you this. And this question is fantasy football driven for me, because from a real world football standpoint, it doesn't matter when it's going to be a Boyd game or a Higgins game, or it seems like they're all going to be chase games at this point. But when you're trying to isolate, you know, when it's going to be one of the other guys, is there a rhyme or a reason as to when Boyd is going to have a blow up game versus Higgins? Well, it, it might come down to matchups, you know, again, now we know uh, matchups unless, you know, you have, I don't know who, I, I, I don't know who the shutdown DB now is that can handle uh chase one-on-one, -on -one. but I think a lot of it depends on matchups. And I think it, and I, I talk because everything offensively is matchup from the offensive line to wide receivers. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like when I was playing to run at Bruce Smith was the best thing because he's so athletic and so smart and quick and fast that he can run things down in the back, of, you know, from the backside. So just run it at him. So that, you know, that strategy. So now you have a maybe you got a matchup with T Higgins and somebody. Maybe it's like, OK, we can still go to chase. But, man, we have this matchup with Higgins, six, four, you know, two, 15 to 20 with you know, somebody out there that now we can take advantage of. So, yeah, I think it's all about matchups and, uh, and, and really knowing the defenders. I mean, I'm sure I, I'm not a fantasy football person, but I'm sure you focus on, you know, the people you have on your team. But I think you also have to look at who they're playing that week and who they're matched up against. What do you think of Zach Taylor? I like Zach Taylor. Um, I've gotten to know Zach uh, since he's been here. Um, he has been amazingly open door to former players. Uh, myself with the foundation for 20 years, he's been at our dinner. He's been at our golf. He, you know, we had eight of his coaches at my golf tournament in June. Um, you know, I love what he's not only what he's doing in the community, but I love his uh, football mind. I love, you know, I think now he's, I think some guys can make the right choices with assistant coaches right away. But I think this year he's kind of got rid of some, brought some others in. And, and I'm the first to say, with all due respect to head coaches, uh, a head coach is only as good as an assistant. I don't care what level, because the example I use, Wendy, is my first four years with the Bengals, my head coach was an all-pro garden tackle, Hall of Fame tackle. And think about the guys Vince Lombardi coached. He said Forrest Gregg was the finest player he ever coached. He was my head coach my first four years with the Bengals. Not one minute did he coach me on the offensive line. He hired his offensive line coach, who eventually became one of the best to ever coach in the NFL, Jim McNally. He's the guy that developed me, that spent all the time. It's the assistants. 
And I see that's what Zach has done. He is, he's brought in, you know, initially brought in some assistance. He's got rid of some, now he's got some, uh, some guys that are developing guys. Of course it, it helps when you have horses and you have the guys, right. but uh, to answer your question, I really like Zach. You know, I really like what he's doing. I, I watch a lot his interaction with the players. It, it looks uh, amazing. I mean, I've gotten to know him as a person and I love him as a person. The preseason odds for him to be coach of the year, which I think at this point you have to put him in that conversation. There's a lot of football left, but the preseason odds for him to win that award were 30 to one. So clearly expectations for him were very, very low. I think there were a lot of questions about him coming into the year about whether he was the guy to what degree do you think that he has answered those questions? Oh my goodness. I think just, um, so I'm pretty sure he calls the place. I love the play calling. Um, you know, again, it's amazing how winning cures so many things. I mean, you know, coach of the year, you know, comeback player of the year. Uh, if they continue to go, there's there's no question that he should be right there in the mix of coaching the year. Uh, the last two years, what they've not been able to do, and all of a sudden, you know, they just add. I mean, I think not only what they're doing on the field during the season, but you look at them as a group, what they've done in the preseason, offseason. We've talked about some of the guys they brought in. I, I believe he is changing and changed the culture of this football team. And one of my former teammates who's been, you know, 35 plus years doing radios, Dave Lapple. And he'll always say, you're, when your best players are your best guys, that says a lot. And right now you can see that the best players are the best guys on this football team. Defensively, Jesse Bates, Logan Wilson. I mean, the guy is amazing. College um, captains and they're, you know, Joe Burrow. And what I heard about T. Higgins in college and, and what you hear about Jamar Chase and some of the linemen. So I think there's more than just wins and losses that really add into a come into play with Zach being there uh, and doing what he's doing to to be uh, mentioned in coach there if they continue to win. Do you think that they will continue to win? Do you think that what you've seen so far is sustainable? I think so. Again, I think with a lot of teams is staying healthy. If they stay healthy and stay hungry, I think this team is very, very talented. And uh, I think they can. I think they can uh, continue to sustain this. And it's a long season. Uh, their season, I mean, their schedule, they, you know, it's it's pretty tough schedule, the second half. But uh, uh, from what I've seen and the excitement and how they play, how hard they play, and with the enthusiasm, um, I believe, uh, I said at the beginning, I thought they were – Again, I've never been very good in predictions, but watching them at camp and preseason, I thought they were a 10-game, 10-win uh, 10, uh, 10 season uh, team, and I still believe that they're capable of doing that. Okay, so what did everyone else miss coming in? If you were seeing a 10-win team during training camp and Vegas saw a six-and-a-half-win team, which was the fourth lowest win total in the NFL, the only teams that they predicted to have fewer wins than the Bengals were the Texans and the Lions and the Jets. What did the rest of us miss about this team? I, I the only thing I can look at is the transformation with offseason pickups and who they because I think that's been a key. And I, I, a lot of people know that, but I think that's been a huge factor with this football team. And I think a lot of people still have this perception of oh, it's the Bengals. It's the, I'm at my grandson's football game Sunday and I'm watching on my phone and I say it's 34-17 and everybody's like, well, hopefully we can score one more touchdown 
because we need to, to make it a much bigger lead. I'm thinking, like, yes. oh, oh, I thought you were going to say that they thought that it was the other way around. They were going to be like, well, hopefully we can score a touchdown and get closer. No, 34-17. They wanted the Bengals to score another touchdown to widen the margin to they make were- that they would hold on. That's, I mean, that's still the mentality. So I think that's a lot of the, well, still what's going on. Well, it's the same old. Trauma is real, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. PTSD. A lot of us uh, go through it. Some of us are going through it currently with regard to their college football teams. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, What, what is USC going to do? What do you think they should do? What should they be looking for? There are a lot of different ways that you could approach this. You could go get an established head coach. You could go get an up and comer. You could get um, somebody who's really strong at recruiting. You could get somebody who's really strong at the X's and O's. Like, what do you think are the priorities here? What should USC do? Get one that has all the above. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Who is that? Who is that, Anthony? <laughs> so I think Pete Carroll's done enough in Seattle. He needs to come back now. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that a possibility? Because, you know, he's having a rough year in Seattle. I don't know that if Russell Wilson moved on at the end of the year. I'll never say never. I mean. So I played for a guy, John Robinson, who wasn't at the time the big sexy or anything, but great football mind, was an unbelievable recruiter, could close to, had a, a, a knack to, you know, communicate and was great with the media. And, you know, so I think, again, I'm getting back to get a guy that maybe is established. But one of the things that this guy has to be able to do, he has to be able to attract some great teachers and great recruiters. I think that is the key. And then he has to go in and close the deal. But man, I tell you what, I watch, and that's the one area where I think is lacking with most coaching staffs is the ability to develop and coach and, you know, and to develop the players. And I think that's what you need is coaches that are like over the top in fundamentals and teaching. And that's what they love to do. You know, I was fortunate. I played 13 years for a coach that said, you know what, I have no desire to be a coordinator. No desire to be a head coach. He says, I want to make my offensive lineman the best to play in this league. And I want to be the best for these guys. And I think that's what you need in assistant coaches. If they do that, opportunities will come down the road for coordinators. But if, you know, again, I, I, I rack my brain trying to think of guys out there right now that I would like to see at SC as head coaches. And it's tough. man. I, you know, I know there's names that have been mentioned. I've gotten to know Luke Fickle who's here in my backyard, Mike Bone, oh, who I yeah. got to know when he was at University of Cincinnati. He hired Luke Fickle. I love Luke Fickle, not only as a person, but as a coach. I love what he stands for. I love the coaches he's brought into Cincinnati and the amazing job he's done recruiting. I don't know uh, Franklin at uh, Penn State. What I do a lot is I watch a lot, interaction, press conferences. Uh, so him and David Shaw are guys that uh, – you know, to me are very impressive as people and as coaches, uh, you know, and I still, I, I believe you, and I've heard it, somebody mentioned it, you have to pursue and you have to force them to say no. You know, it's USC. I mean, sure, we've been down, but man, it's USC. It's like, you know, basketball, it's Duke. It's, you know, those are the teams that you make people say no. And I think USC is that head coaching job. I mean, to me, Knowing what coaches, how they think, they love being able to turn things around. They love to be, and that's right now, we need a head coach that's going to take a challenge to go out West 
and turn this program around because it needs to turn around. It's a challenge. And uh, so those are guys that, um, you know, are out there, the guys that I've thought about. I don't know of any guys that are, you know, you don't know a whole lot about. I've done that research, but, you know, I, one of my, actually my father, uh, my son-in-law's father, who's a UC grad, University of he come up to one of our grandson's football games. He goes, Anthony, wouldn't you be sad if Luke Fickle left the University of Cincinnati? Because <laughs> he's an S a UC grad and he's a big Bearcat fan. I said, I said, Paul, I said, I wish I could say I'd be sad, but <laughs> I think I'd be pretty excited. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you can't feel it. I said, I know. I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, I know his name has been thrown around. I mean, he's a Midwest guy. He's got a lot of kids and his wife. And uh, so... I'm curious to see uh, what is going to happen there because, again, I can't stress it out. I think you have to force somebody to say no because it's, to me, I've been out of there forever and I still love the place. It's still an amazing place, school, you know, academics, athletics, and, and you know, the campus. Uh, so I'm just curious to see what, you know, the president and Mike Bone are going to do. And uh, they have a chance to, to make a big big hire and uh, uh hopefully uh you know the team finishes strong and uh, we'll see what happens how how do they involve guys like you they have already done that i know a few years back they started with the group and we had we we're all excited that they were going to reach out to former players and get some feedback and then all of a sudden it was like crickets you know now uh i spent uh, you know i don't know if it's public knowledge well carson palmer made it public on the show. <laughs> uh, there's about i heard there's about 24 of us that uh, i spent 40 45 minutes talking to the you know the search group uh and sharing a lot of my thoughts and uh i think there's four former assistant coaches that have been there so it's happening they're they're really tapping into guys that have not only been there or lifetime trojans but played in the nfl and have been around a lot of coaches. I mean, we have been around a lot of, not as many head coaches for me. I was fortunate, you know, 17 years of ball four college. I had three head coaches, you know, and two offensive line coaches. So, which is amazing. But uh, so to answer your question, they have, they're tapping into guys. Uh, I mean, they had a lot of questions, asked opinions, answered a lot of questions. Are they asking you these questions? Is this a one-on-one -on -one thing, you and the search committee? Or is it like, hey, everybody together, they've got a bunch of guys on a call and you guys are all chatting it up? One-on-one -on -one call. Okay. So it, it was just myself and this individual for 40, 45 minutes. And uh, he said, hey, we're going to, we're talking to a bunch of other guys and getting information and we're gathering it. And, uh, and, uh, and he said, it's, it's important. It said, we're really going to take to heart what is said. And uh, so hopefully that's the case. But uh, I'm excited that they were, you know, especially for a guy that's been out of there for forever, you know, I've been out of there for a long time, that they're still, and they know that I'm, I'm there through thick and thin, man. I've been on the sideline when we weren't that, doing that good. And I've been on the sideline, you know, when, along with the game and uh, Snoop, you know, Snoop Dogg, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Will Ferrell and uh, Henry Winkler and guys like that. And I've been there where I've looked around and not many people have been on the sideline. So well, you've been there when specifically the NC2A said people were not allowed to be on the sideline, but we'll just move past that. You know what? I was uh, wearing the opponent's team uh, garb and they didn't know anything. <laughs> How important do you think NFL experience is in, in that job? Because I think it does, it plays a factor in terms of recruiting, but 
you can recruit anything if you have success. So if you're confident, I guess, that this guy's going to be a good coach, then then you'll get the recruits back because it's USC. And if USC wins, which is the most important thing. And I can I just use one example. Pete Carroll bombed in the NFL. Yep. Yeah, he didn't do well. And he got there. And I'll never forget, a month after the hire, Boomer Esiason called me, who played for Pete with the Jets, and said, Anthony, I don't know if you know Pete. And I didn't know Pete. He said, let me tell you two things. You're going to love him, and he's going to be successful. At really? SMU. He told me that about a month into the hire. And I'm like, why did, why did he know that then? I don't know. It's just, you know, Boomer is very insightful. Boomer's, I mean, he knows the game, but he just, I guess, felt, being, felt that being around Pete and who he was as a coach and as a person. And, uh, and of course, after that first year, I, I was ready to call Boomer. And, but then it was like, he just needed a little time to build. And there he went. But, uh, I mean, you know, Boomer said it. And uh, so, again, does he need NFL experience? Be successful? One of the most successful, you know, of all time wasn't successful. And then, you know, then he, w- then he was successful in college. You know, to answer your – then he was successful in college. Then he went back to the pros and killed it in the pros. So, was it that experience at USC that – was that catapulting to, to being an excellent coach? And then he did – he's done well in Seattle. So I don't know if he necessarily has to have a NFL career, maybe for the attraction of what I talked about earlier, the, the assistant coaches and getting the best. Maybe, you know, they look at it and say, well, this guy's coaching the NFL. He's had that shot. You know, maybe that's the attraction. I, I, I don't know. Is there a time frame that you think they need to get somebody in there? Well, definitely uh, they need someone to, to lock down California recruiting. However fast that has to be, they need they need that time to be able to. Cause that's that's one thing I never thought we would we would lose is being able to lock down California, and not have the starting quarterback at Ohio State, the starting quarterback at Alabama, the starting quarterback at Georgia, the you know the first first uh, rushing touchdown for Nebraska, a transfer from USC, a running back. Never in my life would I thought that a running back would transfer from USC. Um, so yeah, we need somebody that's going to have the time to recruit, get his assistance and recruit. And, uh, again, I don't time frame yesterday, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Might need to wait a minute though, to get like the best possible guy who's still playing yeah, out there. True, so true. that's always the song and dance right there. It is. That's the tough thing about it. I mean, you know, you have, you have NFL playoffs, you have college playoffs, you have bowl games. I mean, so that's what makes it tough. That's, and then the way recruiting's going nowadays, I mean, kids are committing, you know, you know, so early. And uh, the one good thing is they can't sign until a certain day. So you still have a, you know, with the, with the way kids are committing, decommitting, committing. Totally. Yep. That's still they commit good. early, but they decommit uh, just as fast. That's so good for, you know, having to wait to hire a head coach. You can't sign until a certain date. So we still have time to get decommitted to players and get some players there. So, and then there's the transfer portal, which I don't know if I'm a fan of, but from a USC standpoint, if you get the right coach in there quickly, that could contribute to a turnaround. That could be a kind of a, a turnstile portal, I guess. And uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm not a big fan of that, but in the situation we're in, like you said, that could be a huge advantage for our coach, new head coach and coaching staff. Anthony, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this. My pleasure. Thank you. And uh, it's great being able to talk Bengals. And uh, it looks like we're turning the corner with the Bengals. Now we got to turn that corner uh, out west. <laughs> I'll be a very happy camper here in the Natty. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. Right. We've got a two front war that we're taking exactly. part in. 
about that. Anthony Munoz, so good. And he's on Twitter. If you want to hear more from him, it's Anthony Munoz HOF. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram, Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And we'll be back on Friday with a look at week eight from a fantasy perspective. A lot less complicated than last week was when six teams were on a bye. It's just the Ravens and the Raiders that are out this week. And we'll get into what that means for your fantasy teams coming up on Friday. I hope you'll join us then. Serious XM Podcasts.